company's comprehensive AI XDR, lowercase mm-hmm. AI, capital XDR, all one, word. Pla- all one word, cybersecurity platform eliminates the need for teams to leverage individual siloed products like Seam, Soar, NBAD. What the fuck is NBAD? I don't know. UEFA, MDR, cloud security, container security, IDS, IPS. It was built on the premise that running individual security tools in a silo cannot keep up with the attack surfaces being created by today's diverse network infrastructure. The ability to eliminate silos and extend security across all systems and point of access with a single unified platform allows us to significantly increase threat coverage for our clients at a fraction of the cost of using the traditional siloed approach. If you'd like to learn more about our capabilities and see if there may be a potential fit for your environment, let me know if there's a daytime that would work best for a brief intro call. So, polite, so on, the intro, so polite on the intro, right? polite on the ask, but what they actually offered up was substantively a bullshit sandwich. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know what I just read. What I do know is apparently they've solved the problems, all the problems for the all entire cyber industry at once. Yeah. All the infrastructure locked down. Totally. I'm good. just learning about it right now from this random BDR email that apparently the game's been solved. I can just downsize myself and go get that construction job I've always wanted. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck I was mean, that, George? <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. And we are back live after a break last week. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., Chief Information Security Officer. Yeah, we are back. Uh, I was at RSA last week in San Francisco. And so this episode, we're going to catch up on some news, some developments uh, from there. But as ever... Also, some heinously poor sales and marketing practices that seem to hit our inboxes or our friends' inboxes uh, while we were out. Um, All right. So, yeah, let's get into it. Um, George, you had an incredible number of acronyms thrown at you in a single email. (laughs) So, so I'll give you a moment to share that. First of all, super jealous that you got to go to RSA this year. I know that was originally in our plans. Uh, unfortunately, when you know the uh, tech sector decided to go into a little mini recession, uh, a lot of travel budgets got cut, mine mm-hmm. being one of them. So thank you for doing that. Um, and George, thanks for rocking the hat because everyone apparently thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So I just had to put it out there. If you guys saw George, you saw the hat, do the coolest hat in all of RSA, it was probably our friend George. <laughs> uh, so uh, about this, so... I got uh, I got this BDR sending me this email from a vendor that I had uh, never heard of before, and uh, you know that's usually part for the course. It's never like an established organization because right. they use their more established in their approach. Um, so they were selling their uh, open threat management platform, and uh, they came at me. I'm, I'm just I got the email open, 
And yeah, I'm going to yeah. give you guys an next script because you guys can't see anything. But this is just the paragraph that we're referring to. This is paragraph number. Oh, fuck, I'll just read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Hi, George. Would your team be open to discussing some of the advantages of companies open threat management platform presets or presets versus traditional security models and approaches being used today? I mean, that sounds enticing, I guess, if I cared who you were. Companies, comprehensive AI XDR, lowercase mm-hmm. AI, capital XDR, all one, word. Pla- all one word, cybersecurity platform eliminates the need for teams to leverage individual siloed products like Seam, Soar, NBAD. What the fuck is NBAD? I don't know. <laughs> UEPA, UEPA, MDR, cloud security, container security, IDS, IPS. It was built on the premise that running individual security tools in a silo cannot keep up with the attack surfaces being created by today's diverse network infrastructure. Sidestep. They said our solution is turnkey without saying our solution is turnkey. That's what I took from that. Continuing. The ability to eliminate silos and extend security across all systems and point of access with a single unified platform allows us to significantly increase threat coverage for our clients at a fraction of the cost of using tr- the traditional solid approach. If you'd like to learn more about our capabilities and see if there may be a potential fit for your environment, let me know if there's a daytime that would work best for a brief intro call. So, polite, so on, the int- so polite on the intro, right? polite on the ask, but what they actually offered up was substantively a bullshit sandwich. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what I just read. What I do know is apparently they've solved the problems, all the problems for the all entire cyber industry at once. Yeah. And all somehow, the infrastructure locked down. Totally. I'm good. just learning about it right now from this random BDR email that apparently the game's been solved. I can just downsize myself and go get that construction job I've always wanted. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck I was mean, that, George? <laughs> I mean, you you raise a good point. It was polite. It didn't use any of the scare tactics like, you know, if you care about security, you'll check out or, you know, whatever. But yeah, that is some serious alphabet soup. I mean, that was the first time I'd seen the lowercase AI XDR is all one thing. Um I, I'm so happy that you did not know what NBAD was because I was like, oh, I got to look that one up. Um, <laughs> but it's just like when you look at it, it's overwhelming. So it's super long for a first email, but it's also just like, again, if this is first contact with the enemy and you have no idea what it is they're selling, that's that is a miss, right? There's just like simple value proposition. The beer things too. So when we talk about this with some of our amazing guests, we talked about this with Nico, we talked about this with Erica, mm. we talked about every salesperson we talked to. They generally understand that budgets work in terms of line items and categories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's say I want to look at a tool like this. The first thing my CIO is going to tell me is like, okay, so what's this going to replace? Apparently your entire operation? All, all of it. All of it. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, so you're offering me a tool that's clearly going to be at least a million, million and a half a year, plus all the support services, plus somehow we have to change our entire infrastructure from a compatibility standpoint to be sure that it can actually plug into it. So from a business level and a technical mm-hmm, level, mm-hmm. this is an insane ask. 
Like, even if I ask for the demo, like, what are you demoing? Yeah, that's, um, I think this is something that a lot of vendors miss is we get caught up in the idea that, okay, offer the value. The value is, is cheaper than offering this siloed services. It's more coordinated. Okay. But on the business side, you raise the point of like the change management is so heavy. You're promising to replace everything. It's like, okay, so what is the timeline for you to like essentially retrain your entire SOC and security engineering teams to, you know, that would be an insane lift, as you said, insane. Oh, well, while we're at it, why don't we replace half of the IT ops guys? Because apparently it can cover their functions too. Right, I, I right. think they forget security doesn't make like decisions as if we're king sitting on an island. We have stakeholders, right. we have dependencies. Like if we're going to put in a new tool, I for every new tool I put in, there's like, I can think of four key people at a senior executive level in my own organization. That's a medium sized shop that I have to get mm-hmm. sign off on. That's yeah. four for any, for yeah. like email protection, like a, like not even email, mm-hmm. like the protection service for the email. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if you're talking about something that big, I just, again, let's go back to like humanize your target, humanize your prospect, think to yourself, so if I'm a decision maker reading this, like, what am I going to take from this? Like, am I that desperate? Like, if they're a small market shop and they're aiming for, like, you know, organizations that are less than 50 people or less than 10 people, and they have no security at all, they have never looked at what's going on in their network, this might seem really appealing. It might seem like the answer to my problems. Yeah. But if you're dealing with an actual enterprise that's making millions a year and has been in existence for 10, 20 years... It's, it's frankly kind of an insult and I don't, I, I question whether this individual was serious about me wanting to respond. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that sounds crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're going to talk to a couple of, uh, BDRs, um, about their approach where they're sending out, you know, 12 to 20 emails a day. So this feels like a blast, you know, that's going to go mm. out to a lot of people, right? Because they don't understand your business versus, you know, say, somebody else of similar revenue size right and how how has that been customized? I, think, I think it all goes back to what makes someone like kayla so refreshing and so good right because her mm-hmm. approach is completely persona like personalized sorry yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah for sure um okay well so we have an example of just the alphabet soup launch um and now we have uh, a submission sent in by our good friend and former guest michael rogers so for those of you who are just catching up mike is a CISO, and he talked about kind of the best practices but he said uh, he was letting me know last week that while he was on uh, vacation uh, a vendor called his wife's mobile number looking for him big no-no yeah yeah. Um, and then this one bdr had a basically one-sided conversation uh, with him through LinkedIn. And he said it was so one-sided. This is hilarious. It, it resembled like a chat GPT hallucination. Like it just started going further and further <laughs> off the rails. And so it, it, it was out of that, like the worst date ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was basically treating the LinkedIn inbox, like an email. So here's the outreach. Mike doesn't respond. Here's like the second email touch point and it just keeps going and it says i completely understand please let me know and then it's like hey mike did you manage to check your schedule for a 10 to 15 minute zoom call so he doesn't respond there's no response it just keeps on going on next one is hi mike i will send an invite for 10 30 a.m your time at 
this is the kicker. It's his personal email address, not his corporate email address. His part was super creepy, super creepy for Friday. Feel free to accept. And if it doesn't align, okay, so this is the hallucination path, super pushy. It's gotten super personal and you're injecting calendar invites on his personal calendar. No, stop it. Right. If you're not getting a response, pause and evaluate if you need to cut bait and come back to Mike in a couple of months because you're not getting the response. You got to be able to move on because this is just harassment. And not only has she torched this because Mike does eventually respond, which is like you're being extremely pushy and just sort of like puts a stop to it. Like you're never getting in now. <laughs> right. Like you can keep banging on the door, but now you know, he's just going to call the cops. So. <laughs> Yeah, like I think, again, I I'm I feel for Mike. Um, you know, having kind of a little bit of a, a taste for how he is as a person, I feel that that breach of his personal tr- of his personal privacy would likely be uh, particularly egregious for someone like him. Yeah. So, you know, and it's funny because I was laughing a second ago. Um, do you remember last year there was an individual from a certain organization who did the same thing to me, but like over email? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they were just right. having so a one just, one-sided conversation, and to the point that it had reached. I think at final count, I saw over well over seventeen or, or yeah, well over seventeen emails unanswered yeah. in a row. Yeah, mm-hmm. I truly feel for Mike. I I don't understand the level of desperation necessary, and you know, it's like if you're going to put that much thought and ingenuity into like socially engineering and finding someone's personal coordinates, why can't I not put the same level of creativity in like maybe reaching them in a non-abrasive manner? Just work the numbers, man. Work the numbers. <laughs> You're I, just the number. I, I don't know. But dude, we like, again, we meet someone like Kayla, who's actually really awesome. And she, she does cold approach online yeah. and it's really yeah. cool. We're going to, there is a good pay. way. Yeah, we're going to continue to peel back the onion on that because it's not only her, but, you know, Mike cited this guy, Ben, who we're going to talk to. And I met this Mm. uh, guy, Nafis, in the floor of uh, RSA, who's also having um, high open rates and high engagement rates. Oh, he's cool, too. Yeah, I like that guy. And so, I, you know, I think to your point, like, all right, we're going to get down and try to figure out, like, what are the tactics that they're using that are working because they're clearly operating at a lower volume, but they're getting higher return. Right. Um, but yeah. And so the other one that I wanted to bring up before we uh, switch to RSA stuff is <laughs> my, my friend who works at Morgan Stanley. You will appreciate this as uh, someone in an organization who has previously suffered a breach. So this guy, again, I'm going to say it. He works at Morgan Stanley, will remain anonymous. He told me some guy came up to him and was like, hey, so JP Morgan, I saw you had a major fine. Thought we could help solve your problem. (laughs) So you're clearly illiterate because it doesn't say JP Morgan in his LinkedIn profile. And if you come at somebody at a major bank that hard about, hey, I saw you had a much publicized problem. I bet I could help you. It's probably not the best way to earn trust. Yeah, I, w- I would I would certainly agree with that. Like, no one, no practitioner I've ever met, 
and like myself included on how I feel about this, wants to have, um, let's say, dirty laundry thrown in their face as a justification to have like a business oriented conversation. Right. I think there are fewer things more insulting, more degrading, um, and just disrespectful and at a basic human level of just like, hey, a really bad thing happened to your employer. Can I sell you stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it looks like it sucks over there, but I could help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, fuck, dude. Like, it's like, it's the type of people that come with solutions when there's not even any problems, right? Like and that's that's what yeah. I end up finding because every once in a while I'll be maybe a little bit bored and be like, "Cool, show me what you have." And you're just like, your software solves a problem that like is super niche, and I don't know who's spending money on that scale, but you guys have clearly managed to convince a VC somewhere that it's a good idea. So now you're going on the market and telling people about it. Yeah. I just I find that if a product is actually good and has substantive value. That organization knows it and they tend to hire sales and marketing folks who also understand that. And it's baked into the culture and it's baked into how they communicate with their prospects and their clients. So this is the bigger picture of like folks who are listening to this from sales organizations. If you guys have salespeople on your roster that you know do the things that we've been calling out every single episode now for like literally almost a year. Yeah. That reflects so poorly on your entire organization. I guarantee you their bullshit is going to impact your bottom line. Yes. Yes. The the brand pain is real. And uh, as we've said before, and maybe need saying again, you as the CISO are part of a community. You have colleagues, you have a network, you all talk to each other. And if someone comes at you super hard and their name is mud, like everyone's going to know. Right. And then you're sort of tainted, you're marked from the beginning and uh, it makes it really hard to get in anywhere inside of that territory. So it has a practical uh, problem. It poses a practical but, problem. I have to ask you, like, George, like you're, you're a very good seller, man. Doesn't it, doesn't it feel shitty when you have like a bad interaction that you know, like you probably could have been able to gone better? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like bad interactions coming at me. I can't, <laughs> I, so I don't, I don't want to impose that on anybody, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just telling, uh, this podcast, I did an interview before RSA. I was just telling them they were asking about bare knuckles and I, and I actually said, and this is for the record, I was like, look, I invited George to this thing. We were doing at black hat. I wasn't planning on pitching him. I actually said the words I was going to slow roll it. Like I wasn't going to pitch you. We're going to see what was going on. And then like, maybe we would get somewhere. Right. That was the intention. It was never like, come to this thing at Black Hat. Here's the song and dance, right? Like, so. No, and and the beauty of it, too, is like, because of the nature of my day, like, I had to to actually work the floor and, like, prospect for software I wanted to buy. Um, I ended up having to show up at the end of the event. You're tired. I'm tired. That conversation (laughs) could have gone absolutely terrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we could have been real cranky. Yeah. Is And I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but my friend was getting pitched on like advanced services and MDR. And I don't know if that's a great fit for a company like Morgan Stanley, which probably has a huge <laughs> cybersecurity team, you know, it was like critical infrastructure. You know, I don't, it just felt like a, 
a strange approach, a strange approach. Yeah. Like again, though, you gotta, yeah, know who you're talking to and what, <laughs> what they potentially could want. And like, you, you have to assess that. Like, it's just like, we were like, we were just talking about like, you know, you have to read the room and recognize the moment and the energy of it. If it's an in-person interaction, like, as you're kind of talking about, like when we started this thing, we read the room, we read each other perfectly and cool an actual friendship form. And by the way, like, it's not like I'm not interested in your products. Like I still want to know your services. I'm just, we're, we're going to deal with that conversation separately. Yeah. The, the difference is though, like if I showed you any remote bit of interest, or if you understand the value proposition that your catalog brings, you're going to understand like, what are the conversational triggers that you're going to want to use to show that like, Hey, what we're selling might be of value to you. And I think the problem is you get these like canned responses or scripted sort of like, this is how I'm going to open. And they use the same thing over and over and over again. And I, I, again, hate pulling it back to like the dating context, but it's very similar. It's like someone who's on Tinder and they're swiping with people and then they're using the same openers for all their matches. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that doesn't work. And heaven forbid those matches might know each other and they might ask about it. All right. Well, that's it for the heinous sales activity, <laughs> at least for now. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we will be back to touch on uh, RSA and some other developments in Cyberland. we are back all right so george where do you want to pick it up we're talking post rsa we're talking new tech developments where do you want to go well i'll tell you right now like one thing i'm i'm really excited about is kind of the new um the new like uh, uh ai workbench from google because you're, yep. you're kind of talking we were talking about that a little bit earlier and i think i think what it's looking at now is a lot of these platforms like AWS uh, came out with something similar as well. I'm not an Azure customer, but I'm sure that like they're also coming up with something with their customers. I'm yep. wondering kind of what your thoughts from a, from a sales standpoint, does this, does this become a competitive problem for you potentially as a security seller? Oh, good point. I think, you know, we're in the middle of the AI hype cycle, so it's going to be a question for everyone. Um, this new implementation and integration from Google cloud security looks like it's trying to go toe to toe with the Microsoft security co-pilot, uh, which works with, uh, Sentinel and defender, but I will say the architecture diagram for it looked a little bit more comprehensive than I've seen from other vendors to date in terms of like how you would plug in your customer data, how it would remain private. I think the headline was a little misleading. It was something like how generative AI can, and I, I don't quite like using generative AI because it sounds like it's making things. But when you dig into the nuts and bolts of what Google is offering, it's ways for a specially trained large language model. So they have a large language model called Palm. This is called Sec Palm for security. And it's trained on a corpus of security specific data, including Mandiant Threat Intelligence uh, stuff from Chronicle and stuff from Virus Total, 
and it looks like it's trying to reduce incident investigation time by being able to interpret things much faster. Um, you don't have to do reverse engineering on malware, right? It's going to analyze the code very quickly for you. So generative feels like a misnomer because it's it's not so much creating as it's processing a lot of stuff much faster, right? And I think that's very powerful, uh, but interesting for your take on the practitioner side. I think, yeah, like my my main thing with it is I think if you're an organization that is very security immature, like you, you, you barely have kind of an infrastructure set up for security. You don't really have a big operations team or much of an operations mm-hmm. team at all. Um, I think it's a great tool set to start with. And especially if you're running like a cloud-based SaaS heavy environment, this is perfect, right? You're running a secure suite based on the cloud infrastructure that you've built your company on. Um, I think if you are a security practitioner with a budget and a team and, you know, diversify technologies. Mm-hmm. I think there are other things out there that are developing that would be more applicably useful to, you know, not create an over-reliance on Google. Because like, again, right. when you get into single vendor service issues, you start becoming overly dependent, which then, you know, you lose the benefit of redundancy right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And if something happens to Google, or let's say there's a compromise of, you know, that particular part of their work suite, where it's providing you this quote, unquote, generative AI capability, not beyond the realm of possibility, then you're screwed as well, right? So if you have multiple solutions that are looking at things from a defense in depth approach, these are all basic security fundamentals. Yeah. Um, you're setting yourself up for a lot more probability of success, even if there's an incident, even if you manage to get breached on an initial layer. Um, and the other thing, too, from an AI standpoint, I know you met uh, a buddy of mine, Ezeldine, um, and, and you know, shout out to you, Ease, if, you, if you're listening to this, brother. You know, guys like him are designing solutions where they're creating automation specifically for security operations, right? And, and, yeah. In Ease's case, He's built out a solution where he can essentially help organizations replace the need to hire L1, L2 analysts, which, you know, for most organizations, that's where the toughest ask come from in terms of like, hey, I've got two or three really good security people that are a little bit high value. Can I get some extra headcount to hire a couple of junior folks and develop them and then have them do most of the tedious kind of like bullshit alerts? Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations scoff at hiring those extra one or two headcount. Like, no, we just got like the high price six figure like expert specialist. You're going to figure out what you can with that person. (laughs) So now imagine if you had a solution that does most of the processing for those basic tedious alerts that, Mm -hmm. you know, builds off playbooks that you feed it and then through the machine learning engine expands upon that. That I think provides more realistic value for medium scale and uh, enterprise level, um, um, or sorry, mature level large scale enterprises, more than I think just a one off like, hey, subscribe to our, you know, was it SecPom solution or whatever yeah. they call it. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I think it really comes down to the level of maturity of your organization, the level of maturity of your security operation, what your specific needs are, and also. As the security person, what is the style of approach that you're using? What is your methodology? Are you trying to outsource everything? Is everything managed services? Are you building mm-hmm. up an internal capability from scratch? You, you really have to look at 
where a solution like Google's or Azure's or AWS's fits into your overall plan, you can't just get looped into the really good marketing that they do and just yeah, think, oh, yeah. sweet, my problem's now solved. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more. I know Sentinel One also made some announcements about oh, being yeah, able to right. use uh, LLMs within the investigation stream. But I think you're pointing out a larger issue here, which is while I think security professionals have been hearing machine learning for probably a decade now in terms of sales pitches and stuff like that, we are crossing a point where I think a lot of security professionals will need to really up their AI literacy so that they can ask the critical questions during pitches and procurement, right? So that they can ask those right questions like, how are you modeling my environment? Is that data private, right? Just being very aware of how the technology works and the nuts and bolts and the guts and and how that affects your situation. Um, because it can be a lot of... Yeah, it could be a lot of marketing hypnosis going yeah, on. Yeah, like I, I, I'm really, really happy that you brought that point up because um, that is something that's consumed the majority of my time, to be honest with you, for, the, you know, I'd say the last few weeks, but it's been something uh -huh. that I've had to look at since late last year. Um, and even, you know, I, uh, I wrote a post on, uh, on LinkedIn there on the weekend because I spent a bunch of time on my own free time just being like, I need to read about what is happening because these AI technology developments are yeah. emerging in the market at too fast of a rate to be able to keep up, you know? And so I'm, I'm saying like the, the modern security practitioner leader today, you're trying to figure out, you know, business application use for AI enhanced tools while at the same time, how do you protect your customer and your organization's like data privacy from bad actors who are trying to use the same AI enhanced capabilities to compromise you for sure on some levels, it's kind of insane, dude. Like this is an yeah. unheralded time in the technology industry and arguably in humanity. Yeah. Certainly the speed with which it's coming at you that the need to up level the defense and understand the offense at the same time. Oh, look, if I'll be, I'll be honest with you, if you're especially on the practitioner side and you don't have your own GPT like personal account and you're not experimenting and trying to use mm -hmm. it, gotta be honest with you, man, from a career development standpoint, you are setting yourself up to get left in the dust real soon. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you should try to red team it. So <laughs> know what you're up against. <laughs> I like the way you think, brother. Um, cool. All right. Well, uh, saw a lot at RSA, a lot around AI. I think some of it is empty blather, but a lot more of this integration into basically natural language interfaces, getting away from needing scripting skills, et cetera, but being able to ask the tools in, in uh, everyday language. Um, I also think in the next two years, I don't know, who knows, maybe it's the next two months really at this rate we're working, but I think we're going to see security vendors that come online to basically create custom models of enterprise data systems, right? Because no one wants to feed a training model. And here, the architecture of Google's solution allows you to plug in and also Microsoft keeps it private. But I think people are going to want something more sophisticated with their own data. And you, you may see some vendors come out with something that allows you to do that and understand the different activity more so than just like system logs, which is really, you know, onerous to go through, but some sort of advanced modeling capability. Well, I, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I noticed, I, what did I see the other day? There was a, a 
job post put out, uh, and I wish I had saved it, but I was in the middle of like a work call and I was scrolling through um, a an AI engineer whose job it was is it was effectively to understand how to utilize the prompts and get the most out of the prompt features. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were putting out that role for like three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, prompt engineers as they are being called. And I was just like, what, what? So basically, I just I just have to know how to ask questions to get results. And you guys are going to pay me three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crazy. It's also. I don't know. It feels a little cart before the horse because the, as the model improves and as the interface improves, like the kind of jerry rigging and adversarial stuff you need to do to make it do what you want, it, that's going to go down, right? So the level of sophistication in that skill set is only going to continue to go down. So it seems really weird to try and jump in early and offer that salary. That is not something that can sort of sustain because the whole goal of those vendors is to make it much more easy to use, right? So, yeah and like i looked at that role as just like okay so like when as soon as like like you said are the technology developed such that that role isn't required which i think is going to be very soon or just the economics of our industry and like the you know lack of cash flow that we're currently experiencing across the board hits that Mm -hmm. person's going to get downsized that that's a trap i would not apply for that role yeah and i I would tell people that i have been watching a lot of quote unquote, old sci-fi movies and old being just a few years ago. But like as a practical example, where where do you think this is leading us? I would say go watch Interstellar, right? It's 2014. It's not that old, you know, chronologically speaking. But when you look at it, you see Matthew McConaughey like turn to the robot TARS and is like TARS calculate the trajectory of that particular ship or match the rotational speed. Like that's where they want to take us, right? To this is plain language commands you know, and then you get the, the you, result. You know, it's funny you bring that up. Do you know what I've already like correlated to in my mind? Cause I was a huge fan of it was, um, Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. yeah. Just tell just them the computer talking, to do shit. Just, the computer does just it. Talk into the computer and, and everyday language. And, and like, you could say it that way. You could be like, do that shit for me. Or I could say like, <laughs> calculate the, you know, and it's going to understand the nuances in that language and be able to do the calculation for you. Oh, yeah. Now, so here's what I really, by the way, what I really loved about your whole RSA experience and folks who, you know, obviously George and I were talking the whole time. He was over there doing really cool shit. You met up with what's, I don't know, really, it's fulfilling to me that there seems to be a a greater podcaster community within our within our space. And you happen to meet up with a bunch of our friends who have been guests on our show or we've been on their shows and it turns out they're all pretty darn awesome in person, eh? Yeah, they are just as amazing in person as they would appear to be on Zoom. Um, very, very fortunate to meet with Maria Graham the second time, but had much more in-depth conversation with Meryl Vernon of the Cyber Queen. So I have now officially met all the queens. Um, yeah, and oh, and Danny Wolf. I mean, she and I have a lot of long conversations Um yeah, it was a blast. And I, I think you're right. It's a community. Everyone's willing to sort of share notes, compare notes, um, you know, and they're all trying to do their own part to either address some part of the cybersecurity ecosystem that we feel needs some remedying. Yeah. And you got to hang with our uh, our very esteemed colleague, Mr. Chris Roberts, who, uh, you know, I had a really cool experience with him at uh, CISO Forum up here in Canada. He has stayed on brand and apparently still kept kicking ass. So <laughs> yes. I think you got a pretty funny Chris Roberts story, if you don't mind sharing that. 
Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I had the privilege to walk the floor with him for a couple of minutes, and um, you know, I would say uh, the vast majority of the people manning the booths had no idea who he was. So if you come at Chris Roberts, oh, you better know what you. <laughs> getting in for um this one poor lass uh she was working for a company and the decoration for their backdrop was the the classic hooded figure which is already going to get the hackles up because chris identifies as a hacker as do many people really objects to the idea of hacker as synonymous with cyber criminal and you know, she came up to him and said, Hey, are you interested in, you know, insert company name here? And he was like, no, I am not. <laughs> Just like, Shut it down. I wanted, I wanted to stop her before she got to him. And he, you know, his question was, why do you have, uh, this, his words, faceless Nazgul, uh, on your <laughs> backdrop and then proceeded to tell her about, you know, why hacker can't be used synonymously with cyber criminal, but it was, it was fun. He was genuinely curious in most of the vendors. He wasn't there to just, um, slag them. So, but it was a, it was a good time seeing the way he interacted and, and was thinking through things. Well, I think what I really appreciate from that whole thing, cause I, 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 I seen him too. Like he, his, he was the exact same way when he was up here. Um, he is consistently authentic. And I think yes. whether you're buyer side, whether you're sales side, please more of that energy. That's what makes him so refreshing. Yeah. I don't think he knows how to be anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure, man. Um, but we also had some great posts from some listeners. We were doing a, a giveaway for the hat. Um, so happy to announce those winners next week, but happy to see the engagement there. Yeah. By the way, if, if you guys haven't seen these hats, how did it feel to be like the dude with the coolest piece of swag at one of the biggest <laughs> swag shows in the world? Yeah, I did not expect the hat to get the attention that it did. <laughs> um, I'm glad that I paid for the embroidery and and not the the screen printing. But yeah, people would just come up and be like, I like your hat. And even just like on the streets of San Francisco. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, certainly, uh, we'll certainly have to make more of them. Um, but you have a couple of announcements coming up, right? You got some events that people should know about? Yeah, so there's... Um... I'm going to be the uh, one of the keynote speakers there for the uh, Future IT conference coming up in Toronto. Uh, that's being run by IDC. So that'll be on uh, Tuesday the 9th. Uh, it'll be rebroadcast uh, virtually on the 11th. So that's a Thursday. But if you happen to be in town, look up Future IT Toronto. I'll be on stage talking about uh, the modern CISO as a head coach. Because uh, I do believe that the direction of our of our position and our practice is not as a, an authoritarian leader, but rather as someone who's there to mentor, guide, and develop. Um, so nice. I'm there to talk about that. Um, other than that, actually, at the end of May, and George, I know that this is still a mostly tentative plan, but still, hopefully, you see come up here. Uh, George and I might actually be together in Toronto for the Canadian Women in Cyber Conference by CyberX, also in Toronto. Um, we're still kind of hashing out the details on that since George will have to do a little bit of, um, of, uh, of travel by flight and there's the whole kind of like international stuff and, and figuring out the work details. But if it can happen, uh, I'd hope you guys all come out, look up Canadian women in cyber by CyberX. Uh, George is a really cool guy to hang out with. I'm okay, but like 
you know, coming <laughs> out with George. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have some swag available for folks as well. Um, and I think we want to eventually actually do a sort of giveaway contest at some point. Yeah, yeah. We'll have more. Um, there was a good uh, reception, but I got to get you your hat so you can also do Canadian side stuff. So, Oh, and and um, while we can remember, you and Danny have put together a really good survey that uh, I'm actually going to be reposting about later tonight. Um, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, we're just curious to understand um, the buyer intent, uh, you know, and contrast it with what we saw in terms of the booth messaging. Um, I won't say too much more about that, but it is that analysis is underway and we're just keen to understand because if there is a divergent gap there, then it behooves the cybersecurity vendor ecosystem to understand it so we can actually start talking to you in the ways that you care about. (laughs) So to my practitioner friends, whether you're an executive, whether you're an analyst, whatever it is, keep your eyes peeled for that post. It's really worth it. This information is going to be used to help adjust kind of the way that the messaging uh, for sales in our industry is going to go. I mean, hanging out with someone like Danny Wolf, she has big dreams just as much as us of making this entire industry sales exercise that we're all going through every day a much more enjoyable and palatable experience. So anything that, you know, someone like Danny puts out and obviously George, you worked around that. I think it's worth people's time. So please, practitioner friends, look for the post, do the survey up. It will benefit us all in the long run. Absolutely. That's it. That is a fine place to end things for this session. Um, And we will be back next week. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you then. Take care, y'all.